Welcome to Ed's Edge, the podcast to help you live the life you've always wanted. I want to give you an edge, a financial edge. I'm Ed Meek. I'm a financial advisor with a passion to help you retire early, save more, and live better. It's often the little things, small behaviors, that can change our lives. That's the power of a financial edge. I'm as excited for this podcast as maybe anyone I have done yet. And why? Because it's going to be off the chain. It's going to be on blockchain. It's going to be with some portfolio managers of the ETF BLOK. Tom, who understand trying to take a deeper dive. That's awesome. Let's bring on Mike and Dan. So we've got the co-portfolio managers for the ETF that's in town here in Wheaton, Illinois, called BLOK for blockchain. Both Mike and Dan are with us. Mike and Dan, before we really get started on uh, all of this, uh, I have a big question for you. Why is your pizza so thin, and why do you fold it? Because that's the way it's supposed to be done. <laughs> I mean, is, isn't isn't bigger better? I mean, ours is very deep. Uh, we get a lot of food in it. Yours is so thin, though. I, I, you know what? Though we have the right water, and and we do have the Sicilian pies, and you know we have the all kinds of things that we can do with our pizza. Um, I didn't know we were going to get on here and debate hot dogs and pizza and stuff, though. So. <laughs> I, I haven't. Even... I mean, that, 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 that's really personal, by the way. You know, <laughs> I, I, I didn't even pizza start in with New York the, is important. I didn't start with the hot dog thing. The only thing you got on us on hot dogs is when it happens to do the Joey Chestnut eating so many hot dogs. That's about the only thing you've got on us there. So, uh, anyways, well, I really appreciate both you guys coming on. Coming on, you. Um, you're you're both heralding from New York right now. Is that where your headquarters is? Yes, um, we've always been uh, a gig economy like company where we've got 32 employees in seven different states and really support the idea of working from the cloud in a little more decentralized way. Instead of uh, off sites, we do on sites where we all get together three or four times a year. Um, but, uh, right now, Dan and I are in New York. Awesome. And I think you guys mentioned to me earlier that you're both from Long Island, correct? Yep. Well, I, I yeah, I actually from Manhattan, um, I grew up in the same apartment where I live today. Change doesn't come easy in that way for me. <laughs> so great. Well, uh, again, really appreciate you guys coming on. As uh, as I've explained to you before we got on, Tom and I have talked about kind of the blockchain and cryptocurrency universe in a 101 basis, and we thought it would be great to hear from some experts who live and breathe uh, in that universe. But before we deep dive on that, give us a little bit of your backgrounds as portfolio managers, where you came from. Okay. So uh, this is Mike Venuto. Uh, I've been in the world of investment management for about 25 years. I actually <laughs> went to school and studied philosophy and religion in North Carolina State and, you know, really got into Wall Street accidentally. <laughs> I was a 
ticket runner and then a broker. And then I joined a hedge fund that was very focused on individual securities. Um, we saw ETFs as a threat to what we do. And that got me very involved in becoming an angel investor at a number of ETF startups, um, Wisdom Tree, Emerging Global Advisors, uh, Global X, companies like that. And that eventually led me to blockchain because I saw blockchain as the only real threat to ETFs being the dominant vehicle in financial services five, 10 years from now. Um, so Dan, you want to share your background? Sure. So I've um, also been in the industry for about 30 years. Um, I've always been intrigued by disruptive technology. So um, it was a natural progression for me after being focused on ETFs for the last 25 years to leapfrog back into, you know, um, the, the, the stock picking game. And when I look at the blockchain specifically, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, management. It's about execution of the blockchain and in crypto. And um, I get to enjoy talking to management again. Um, I ran a hedge fund prior to getting into the ETF space. Uh, that was small caps. Very interesting. So how did each of you, like, I don't know, did you stumble across this crypto blockchain uh, universe? How were you introduced to it and what made you interested in it? All right, I'll go first on this one. So <laughs> I remember really the first time of hearing about it was at Inside ETFs event down in Florida. And they had the Winklevoss twins there, and they're talking about them filing for an ETF. And somebody asked me about it, because right, we're one of the ETF gurus or whatever. And I had the immediate reaction that everybody else had at that time, which was, well, Bitcoin, isn't that just used by criminals? And um, I got an education that day where it explained a lot of things about it to me. And that was kind of my aha moment. I said, all right, maybe it's not just criminals. Let me go read the paper. And then I read the paper and my immediate thoughts were, this could replace the financial institutions that currently exist. This is this could be better than the ETF wrapper. And immediately started researching and a couple months later started investing. And then a year or two later, we partnered up with the folks at Amplify and Tom on the there to uh, help bring Block to market. You know, um, Mike and I have known each other for well north of 10 years because of the ETFs. Um, about two and a half years ago, I joined Teroso. And, you know, I, I joined it because of our common interest in the blockchain. Um, and for me, it was the conversations that I was having with various management teams and the excitement of getting involved in active management again. So blockchain, as as we learned from Tom, is is quite a big universe. Do you guys kind of break it down in different ways to invest in it, or how do you go about finding investment opportunities for the fund? All right, so that's a big question. <laughs> uh, I'll take the how do we break it down um, from the high level, not not the deep segments and all that, and then I'll let Dan run with uh, how do we find these companies. Um, so blockchain, uh, I think has started to be used autonomously with cryptocurrency. It's not right. Blockchain 
is simply a process. It's an iteration on how accounting is done, right? So uh, one of the CEOs of one of the larger miners told us this story, and he has an accounting background. So he kind of tells the Ernst & Young version of what blockchain is. But uh, I'll do it quick and short because many people have heard me say this before. Uh, the short version is 5,000 years ago, if we wanted to do a transaction, we did it in person and we wrote it on the cave walls. 500 years ago, if we wanted to do a transaction, we could have a trusted third party step in, like the Medici's or think of whatever, and say, yeah, you know, Mike and Ed just did a transaction. And it's verified by the full faith and credit of whatever third party. Blockchain is the third evolution of that. Blockchain says we're going to use a technology, a math problem, to verify our transactions. Um, and that math problem does not include a trusted third party, somebody who could hurt us or steal from us. It includes a decentralized network solving a program that verifies our transaction. That iteration is massive. If you start to add up all the trusted third parties we pay on a daily basis, all of them can be disrupted by this technology. So when we categorize it, we're looking at two versions of blockchain. Version number one is the exciting one that everybody hears about, which is cryptocurrencies, right? Those are fully decentralized blockchains, public blockchains, open source code. Um, then you have the second version where you have companies like IBM and Microsoft and Accenture working on private blockchains, which is just the use of that technology uh, to make logistics or tracking information more efficient by being able to share aggregated data without sharing proprietary data. So that's how we look at the categories. I'll give Dan Weisskopf, my co-PM here, the stage to talk a little bit about how we find the companies. Yeah, so uh, we find them, and, and, and we've got a database. Let me start off by saying we've got a database of about 210 companies now um, where we're, we're speaking to the management team. Um, and, and we find these companies through management, right? You know, what are you hearing? It, it's just very conversational and the relationships that we have. And, and it, it ends up, what you find is it's kind of old school with checks and balances. You know, what are you hearing about so and so? How did they actually accomplish something? You know, and, and at the end of the day, um, it's, it's an ecosystem. And so, you know, read, read, read conversations, and you know you're looking at the tape constantly. One thing uh, that popped in my head, Mike, when you were saying something was, uh, let's say this whole cryptocurrency universe just went away. Let's say it eventually dissolved. Based upon what you were saying, that doesn't mean blockchain goes away. In fact, blockchain will continue to be used in many ways that aren't even connected to crypto. Would that be fair to say? Yes. Um, I, I, I would say I'm a believer that the end winner in this process is most likely to be a public decentralized blockchain. But the use of blockchain technology is here to stay, right? So, you know, uh, 
we've got multiple studies that we've, we've cited in our presentations and you can find on the Amplify websites and whatnot that show the use of private blockchains is going to get to about 50 billion over the next two to three years. And that's, you know, IBM and, uh, you know, Accenture and, and shipping companies, global shipping companies like Maresk and whatnot. Just to give that context, the ETF industry in the United States generates about 11 billion in revenue. So if we say the boring part of blockchain is going to generate more than four or five times what the entire ETF industry does, it, it blows me away. Um, now you get to the, the public markets. The reason I think they're the ones more likely to succeed is because it adds that extra value prop, right? So when the internet, the first version of the internet came out, we had internets and we had intranets. So I don't know if you remember things like Netscape or they were basically like closed internets. They're all gone. Those were the private internets. Um, and it's because the world and the consumer prefer that extra value prop of the lack of censorship, the lack of, of incentive to steal. They prefer the centralized open source. So, yes, the two are separate and have various different different um, applications and value props. But I do think that eventually everything will move more towards a decentralized finance. I don't know, Dan, you're you're more in the yeah. companies. What do you think? Well, you know, I, I was at a uh, a book event um, over the weekend, as an example, and and the author was sitting there with his agent. And there were a whole bunch of questions that were asked. And for some reason, the blockchain actually popped up. And believe me, you have to believe me on this. It wasn't me bringing it up. Um, at, at the end of the day, um, the blockchain is filling a need, right? Whether it's authors or music um, or artists, on a long-term basis, you know, they, in, in the way of, like, as an example, NFTs, the evolution will fulfill a need. Um, there's just too much fat in the system, and some people aren't getting paid properly. Yeah, just you guys saying how big this universe probably already is and sounds like how much bigger it's going to be just creates so many opportunities, it sounds like. If uh, if somebody invests... Yeah. In, what were you going to say? Oh, go ahead. No. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, if... Uh, if someone invests in BLOK right now, you know, what is it that they're buying? Okay, so I'll start with the, the segments and then Dan can talk to some of the companies. Um, so what we're looking at is we think of cryptocurrencies as the underlying commodity and block as more of owning the picks and axes and on-ramps to the world of decentralized finance and blockchain. So from that perspective, from the traditional finance world, I would think of Bitcoin as gold or GLD and block more like a GDX, the miners or the material sectors, ETFs, things like that, the, the, the companies supporting the ecosystem. Now, within that support, we have a number of segments that Dan and I research and fill buckets for. Um, the segments would be things like the cryptocurrency miners, the ones that are solving the logarithms to further the chain. Dan and I just did a trip to the south to see some of these things. 
these centers where this is occurring. And it's the scale and the technology is just massive and amazing. Um, in addition to the miners, we like to focus on the transactional companies or the on-ramps, the traditional finance firms that are embracing uh, the new world of decentralized finance. That would be Square, PayPal, Coinbase, Mogo, Voyager, uh, Silvergate Bank. These are all more normalized financial in institutions or fintech firms that are making the use of blockchain more accessible to the masses. We also like to look at um, venture firms, companies that are investing in multiple private areas of this, um, as well as conglomerates like Michael Novogratz's company, which is uh, my, um, uh, Galaxy Digital. We try to maintain about a 10% exposure to the movements of actual cryptocurrencies. And we do that indirectly through an investment in micro strategies, as well as some exchange traded products that uh, have access to Bitcoin. Um, we finally also include some private blockchain names, uh, such as you know IBM and Accenture, which I've mentioned earlier. That's actually the smallest portion of the portfolio today because the excitement and revenue production is more at the decentralized arm with the miners and the on-ramps. So, Dan, any specific companies you'd like to talk about? You know, everybody, I think, today know, knows about Coinbase as an example, right? And Coinbase's success has really taken uh, the market by storm. But as a, a, a similar example that's in the news, it's Robinhood, right? Um, and, and these are two platform companies. We don't own Robinhood, by the way, and we don't in, in part because of a subtle difference between Robinhood, we'll say, and, and Voyager, um, which is that in the case of Robinhood, when you buy crypto, you actually don't get the crypto, right? And, and in that you're getting a derivative type of, of holding. And, you know, so what, what do you get when you buy block? You, you get research and, and, you know, management connections. And I think that is very helpful. So really what you're doing is you're bringing this whole entire universe. You're, it sounds like you've broken it down into these different categories and, and how uh, they're all segregated. So it's in some ways, would it be fair to say that it's diversified not just in one of these, like you said, uh, the smallest portion was like some crypto kind of plays, but because blockchain's so big, it's almost like you've diversified it inside of BLOK. Would that be fair to say? I don't think from the perspective standpoint, we're allowed to say diversified because we are in, you know, a very niche sector, uh, but we are diversifying across 40 to 60 companies right now. I think it's 43 or 44 today. Um, so we are really risk mitigating from a different standpoint, right? You're, you're getting a diversified portfolio of blockchain companies, but the fact that we're in blockchain is really diversified. Um, now those companies, the most important part is there are competitors to what we do, but almost all of them are passive. And we think it's extremely dangerous to be passive in this area, but primarily because any new technology 
has frauds that come with it. And I'm not really worried about making touchdowns because as this technology changes the world, it's very easy to participate in the upside. However, avoiding sacks is really how we add value to our clients. The fact that we don't buy these companies without talking to them is very powerful, right? The, the way that we're able to talk with management and not only verify what they're telling us about their company, but what they're telling us about the supply chain, because we're probably buying companies that are suppliers to them as well. And we're able to trust, verify all kinds of things and avoid a number of, call it, um, I don't know if you remember Random Walk by Bert Malkiel, right? He first cited in Random Walk how in the 70s, all these companies started using the word computer at the end of their name. And then we saw the same thing with dot-com in the 90s. Two, three years ago, we started seeing companies just add the word blockchain to their name. Guess what? Passive funds picked that up. <laughs> you know, we're, blockchain and name means nothing to us. Show me the machines. Show me the on-ramp. Show me the revenue. What would you guys but, say? But my, Go ahead. Yeah. I would just say that I'm sure Mike is correct on on the uh, definition of diversification, but on the same token, our process um, kind of caps exposure in the top top um, top level, um, where it's you know six percent is like a big holding for us, you know, and then and in, in, in a small holding is like, is like a one percent holding, and we we scale up to that three percent targeted holding. So the point is that there really isn't any one name that can blow us up and blindside us. And that's important. And I think the message is if if someone's looking to invest in the blockchain or crypto world, this is a diversified way to do so. To Mike's point, you're you're specifically within that subsector, but it's a diversified play within it as opposed to a client coming in and saying, hey, I want to... I want to just put all my eggs in Bitcoin or uh, Coinbase, something like that. Agreed. When you guys uh, in the current marketplace and what you're seeing, what are kind of either the two or three themes or kind of favorite investments that you guys see right now? Or do you have anything off the top of your head? Uh, Dan, why don't you go first since I've been – Jumping ahead of yeah, so so, so I, I I don't know if it's it's a theme so much as um, it's the exciting trend in the mining space because you know it, the mining area is so pivotal to the ecosystem and at this point so long as Bitcoin stays at current levels a lot of these companies are trading cheap on an EBITDA level right meaning. 9, 10, 12 times, and they're going to be throwing off great cash flow. Um, and, you know, they're producing Bitcoin on their balance sheets. So they're, they're wonderful derivative plays, um, and, and I'm very excited about the, the mining area. Uh, on the same token, the, the platform companies, as an example, like Voyager, which is run by um, uh, uh, Steve Ehrlich, um, who used to be uh, the CEO of E-Trade Trading, he's got wonderful experience. And at the end of the day, you know, people like to trade this area. 
and he's growing like 65, 75% um, quarter over quarter. I mean, the growth that's taking place in this area is, is mind blowing. So those are great. Examples. Yeah. I would throw in another thing. Another thing we've been excited about is SPACs. Um, now, excited from what they're bringing to market. <laughs> Not so excited about the performance as of late, but that, you know, that's just a um, trending and things like that. But what we love about it is as an active fund, we're able to participate in some of them when they're when issued or, you know, come in after we understand them. So there's a SPAC in our portfolio that should looks to be bringing tops, the baseball card maker back public with Michael Eisner involved. And, and, uh, you know, the reason this is in blockchain is because it appears they're issuing NFTs in addition to the actual physical cards, um, which is a whole new market that we didn't even envision when we first built block. So I'm real excited about the things that I didn't know could exist three or four years ago when we built the fund that are now coming to market as real companies with, with real backing from, from serious people. Hey, Mike or Dan, could you guys just take a moment to, to explain what a SPAC is for, for those who may be unfamiliar? Yeah, a SPAC is, is an acronym for Special Purpose Acquisition Vehicle. Um, so essentially, they're a different way of IPOing. So groups of people get together, they go raise capital, they list that capital as a public entity, and then they look to find a private entity to merge with and bring public. Uh, it's a faster way to IPO, and it works very well with high-growth companies. Um, the SPAC market has recently taken off uh, from a business perspective of bringing more products or companies public. So it's kind of a way of us as an active fund participating in a version of IPOs in this space. And Dan and the team have been very successful in finding a number of these that are unique positions to block. And, and, and I think we're looking at trying to take advantage, to your point, of, of um, today where you, a company comes public in a SPAC, you've got an appropriate amount of time to do the due diligence as opposed to a year ago, SPACs were coming Companies are coming public through SPACs, and they were ripping, and you didn't have a chance to do the due diligence. Now, the advantage to us is we're able to get in after doing the proper due diligence. That's very helpful. Thank you. As, as we all know, when we invest in spaces that have a lot of upside, there's potential pitfalls. What, what do you all think are some of the pitfalls ahead or that you guys foresee for people to be careful of? Um, so the one that everybody likes to talk about is regulation, right? Uh, I actually think that's more of a positive, but it's always a short-term negative. You know, they, we just quasi-passed an infrastructure bill that has pages upon pages about regulations for cryptocurrency. Um, and everybody's like, oh my God, that's going to crush the price. No, it's actually good. That's traditional finance and dealing with uh, de decentralized finance, right? The laws that govern what we do were written in 1940. They didn't envision a world where you have a decentralized blockchain verifying transactions. 
they only envisioned a world where, you know, you pay Jamie Dimon to verify your transactions. So all the regulations didn't work for this. Regulations are good, but they are short-term bad for price movements. Um, same thing with China saying no more mining here. It's the best thing that could happen to Bitcoin, right? It, it caused it to be more decentralized. It dropped the hash rate or the hash rate is how difficult it is to get more Bitcoins by 28%. Uh, that was a huge benefit to all the companies here in North America and Europe that are doing this. But it also dropped the price of the underlying currency. Makes no sense to me, but it, it happens that way. So, you know, good news can be seen as bad news because in the short term, it's looked at as headlines. Dan, are you, is there any other risk that you would highlight? Well, it, it, everybody seems to focus on when is an ETF going to come into the mix and, and hold Bitcoin as an example, right? And you know, our position is that, you know, it isn't necessarily going to be the fourth quarter, or maybe it's the first or second quarter, but how it's wrapped and what structure is going to be meaningful. But there's plenty of demand for that type of, of uh, ETF, but you're going to want to still look under the hood. Extremely helpful. Yeah, it, it's surprising. It's surprising because the statements, the public statements coming out of the regulators of the SEC today seem to be pushing us or found um, sponsors to launch a futures-based or derivative-based Bitcoin ETF. And, you know, that's going to have inefficiencies. So there's a, there's an irony in that it at least implies that the first fund to do something with direct ownership of Bitcoin is not really going to be very direct or efficient. <laughs> so so uh, it's a little confusing. Yeah, we've seen that in in the space of other ETFs that have used futures and how there can be uh, some crazy volatility in ways that you know the average investor doesn't know. So I totally understand where you're coming from there. You guys are incredible in your knowledge and how helpful this has been. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you guys would like to just maybe share about BLOK or kind of the space? You know, I, I think that, yeah, no. So, so I think the interesting part to me is that a lot of people don't understand it. And the question is going to be what industries are going to be most effective. And I'm, I'm doing a number of interviews with CEOs, and that's always going to be my concluding question, you know, which industry is going to be most effective? And certainly, I think real estate, as an example, has great potential to be affected by blockchain. I think insurance ha also has um, real opportunity to be affected by blockchain because of the efficiencies and the connectivity of it all, right? So, so while a lot of people want to be pensive about it, the reality is that the disruption is going to affect so many different industries, and they're going to be affected anyway. And so there's a certain level of irony on all this for me. It, you know, I think both of us came into the ETF market because we saw the opportunity of so much disruption in asset management. But this is, this is going to be tenfold or whatever multiple you want to put out there on disrupting different, different industries. Yeah, I, I would agree, right? Like, Investors need to know that this is bigger 
than they can fathom at the moment. Like the, the amount of things that this changes are so much more than we can even understand. This is Internet 2.0. Internet 1.0 democratized access to information. Internet 2.0 on the blockchain verifies that information. It makes it unique in a digital world. The value of that is immense. That said, today it's still speculative. Today there's still many things that it has to go through to succeed. And from that perspective, we tend to recommend what we're doing is more of a satellite position. And I love to say buy and learn. I hear all the time, oh, I bought XYZ, Shiba, whatever, and I made this or I lost that. And I say, well, what did you learn from that? This is not about buy and hold. It's about buy and learn, right? Because make it make something in the space a small position, and then learn the technology. Because the stuff we use today, our children aren't going to be using. They're going to be using something on blockchain. That's something uh, you just taught me. Something I love that buy and learn. That's a that's a great a great term. I think I'm probably going to be stealing that one from you. Lastly, what would you guys suggest as maybe some of the best resources for people who are interested in the space to learn more, read more? Okay. So, so I'll start with the publicly available stuff out there and then Dan and the team produce a bunch of content that he can go through. Um, first and foremost, anybody going into the space should read the white paper, the Satoshi white paper from 2009 that created, you know, the first public blockchain, which is Bitcoin. It's just so simple. And once people read that, it, they stop going, oh, it's all about the price and the memes and what Elon Musk said and what Kathy said, and this is Jack. And that, 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 that. Just read the paper and see if it makes sense to you. Um, uh, on top of that, there's a million YouTube videos and groups out there that have great information. Uh, but Dan, why don't you talk about Blockchain Monthly in your interviews a little bit more? Sure, sure. So um, I write, or we write rather, um, a, a series of, of um, uh, articles about you know how the portfolio made changes that are on the Amplify website. But I also think that the interview series that I'm doing offers a perspective from the CEOs, right? So the Michael Sailors, uh, so like just interviewed the the Fred Steele, who also runs one of the biggest miners. And they're they these guys are individually disruptors, right? And how they came to the epiphany of of embracing the blockchain. So I think that's also an easy way to learn. Incredible. Uh the really, really appreciate all your time, guys. Uh, my head is exploding. I'm I, this is a universe that uh, I literally went to my intern earlier this summer and said, I need to learn more about this. And and now we've gotten to this point. And so Mike and Dan, you were awesome. We uh, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for Thank you. All right, guys, we, uh, we got to shut off now. In conclusion of today's podcast, just wanted to make clear that we are not endorsing this investment. We thought these portfolio managers would be great in helping us understand the blockchain universe better, which 
for me personally, I think they did. Would also encourage you that if you're interested, you might want to listen to it a couple few times. I'm going to have, have to listen to it again a few more times. But we're not endorsing the investment. It's something that we're exploring as an investment firm. Certainly, you can look into amplified funds. The symbol is B-L-O-K. And thank you for listening. I'll introduce myself because James isn't here about Ed's Food for Thought. I do want to say that this past weekend, I came across uh, a chef that Catherine, uh, my wife, was asking me recently, uh, what are you doing in there? I was in there for, I was in my office like a, an hour or two, and I was introduced to this chef. His name is Chef Billy Parisi. He's out of Chicago. He's pretty big on Facebook. And I just started getting excited about all of these different recipes. We had some friends come over on Sunday, and I decided I wanted to make uh, this one steak recipe. I had never seen it before. It's a French thing. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce it. So I decided to look up um, how do you pronounce this, and I just figured the gentleman that um, helped me learn how to pronounce it, which I still don't, I'm just going to play what he says about it. We are looking at how to pronounce with a typical French pronunciation, steak au poivre, steak au poivre. But it'd be fine in English or American to say steak au poivre, steak au poivre. Okay, so I'm not going to repeat that, but it's, the basic gist is it can be any one of the higher-end steaks. I use New York Strip. He said you can use it on ribeye, you can use it on filet mignon, but it's a cracked pepper and salt, but a lot of cracked pepper on both sides of the steak, and it's made with a creamy uh, cognac sauce. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually put a link in the files to the recipe, but also to this uh, Chef Billy as well. Delicious. I would highly recommend it. It was not too difficult. And I look forward to hearing if you make it. Let me know. What do you think? Thanks, everyone. There's a lot of information here about this whole space. We will be also putting in the footnotes that white paper that they referenced. That's a good place to uh, learn a little bit more about the history. I have been slapped on my hand one too many times by my compliance attorney. This is to put me in good standing. This podcast represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time, should not be relied upon as investment advice, and is not intended to predict or depict performance of any investment. Any specific recommendations or comparisons that are made as to particular securities or strategies are for illustrative purposes only and are not meant as investment advice for any viewer.